Hello and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson bringing to you this Tuesday a continuation of my Fascism in Fiction miniseries. This week I am talking about one of my favorite movies and one of my favorite depictions of fascism on film, if that's something that it makes any sense for me to say. One of, in my opinion, the best movies that at least mainstream Hollywood has ever made about Nazism. I'm talking about Cabaret. Cabaret is a 1972 musical directed by Bob Fosse. It stars Liza Minnelli, who is the daughter of Judy Garland, as in Judy Garland of Meet Me in St. Louis and The Wizard of Oz. It also stars Michael York as a guy named Brian and Joel Grey. Now, Cabaret is an adaptation of, well, actually a lot of things. It's somewhat complicated. It's an adaptation of a Broadway play called Cabaret from 1966, which is itself an adaptation of a 1951 play, which is called I Am a Camera, which is itself an adaptation of a semi-autobiographical novel called The Berlin Stories. This novel is by a British author whose name was Christopher Isherwood, who is a gay icon uh, who hobnobbed and worked with other famous British um, early queer novelists, such as W.H. Uh, Auden. Uh, he also was the author of a book called A Single Man, which is partly based on his later time in the United States, in L.A., which was itself later adapted to a very excellent movie uh, called A Single Man, starring Colin Firth. Cabaret is set during the Weimar Republic, starting in the early 1930s. This means that it is set during the rise of Nazism, and it is based on Isherwood's own experiences there and then. So the main backdrops of the film are the rise of Nazism, but also the sort of like nihilistic, freewheeling, free love type atmosphere that, you know, counterculture in Weimar Germany was, you know, a product of. The movie's plot concerns the lives of two expats, a British academic and translator from German named Brian, who is played by Michael York, and an American cabaret singer named Sally Bowles, played by Liza Minnelli. Now, Sally Bowles works at a club that is run by a character who is known only as the Master of Ceremonies. The Master of Ceremonies is played brilliantly by Joel Grey. It is an interesting musical in that all of the music and songs are diegetic, which means that they are happening in the world of the movie. That is to say, all of the songs that all of the characters sing are either like sung by people who happen to be singing a song in the every in their everyday life, or they're songs that are being sung at the cabaret itself. This lends the musical a sort of feeling of reality, which the Broadway musical itself did not have. It was more of a standard musical with characters just like singing their feelings out loud, you know, in a musical sense. So the plot of the movie is this. Brian comes to Berlin uh, in order to finish his doctorate, which involves translations from German. He is going to live in the same building as Bowles. They are both sort of down and out, you know, young bohemians. He becomes enamored of her, especially after seeing her perform at the Kit Kat Club, the cabaret that she performs in. So he becomes really attracted to her. She is a, an extremely sexually promiscuous young talent in the club, and she is often being taken advantage of by other men who are, you know, promising that they'll get her bigger or better parts or, you know, actually put her in a movie or something like that. They bond over being down and out and eventually strike up a romance that is sort of tinged with sadness and being temporary. So it's a sort of like 
romance of convenience, and the movie wants us to sympathize with these characters and kind of hope for their romance, although their relationship is presented as somewhat doomed for the start. The characters are very different. They come from very different worlds. Brian is, you know, an Oxbridge, like, elite educated person, whereas Sally Bowles is a not particularly talented actress and singer. Uh, this is unfortunately contrasted with the fact that Liza Minnelli herself is an incredibly brilliant performer and singer, and so it, it somewhat contrasts with the character herself, right? But but that's sort of beside the point. These pair then meet and bond with a male German aristocrat, a baron, uh, who uses both of them for sex and also just sort of, like, for fun. You know, he he's sort of slumming it with them and is just, like, enjoying having sex with both of them. Eventually... Sally becomes pregnant, but doesn't know if Brian or the Baron are the father. The Baron escapes, he just bounces, he just leaves the scenario, and Brian proposes to her in order to keep them together. She initially agrees to the proposal, but their relationship sours as she thinks about what actually being with Brian in the long term would mean. You know, it would mean moving back to England and her living a quiet domestic life, which isn't what she wants. She then secretly gets an abortion which we, the audience, learn about after she is seen without the excellent fur coat that she is depicted wearing the entire film, uh, clearly having pawned it for the money that she used for the abortion. Brian then leaves, and we get uh, Sally Bowles singing one last sad song at the cabaret, the, the titular song, Cabaret. So that's the main plot of the show, a queer romance story that is set in a fraying, decaying society. But there are a bunch of other major subplots. For example, Brian has a friend who is Jewish, who is pretending to be Protestant in order to marry rich. However, and much to his frustration, he falls in love with a rich Jewish woman in this persona as a Protestant man. So he then has to out himself as Jewish again. Again, he is pretending not to be Jewish in Nazi Germany, or at least in increasingly Nazi Germany, so he has a very good reason for doing this. But his love causes him to admit his Jewishness, another doomed romance in the movie. Another subplot are the shows in the cabaret itself, which display a playful naivete, a nihilism, uh, and also lots of gender play and cross-dressing, some overt homosexuality. But in the world of the movie, it's also presented to be somewhat tawdry and, you know, a little sort of too little too late. This is where Joel Gray's Master of Ceremonies lives. He is never depicted outside of the cabaret itself and is almost never depicted off of stage, right? He exists only in the world of the cabaret. And, and the movie wants us to really feel this, that it's like only in this permissive different space would such a person be allowed to exist, right? He can only be here. It's to remind us that the other world, you know, the, the oppressive world of the Nazis is closing in. And the cabaret itself is this like liberated promiscuous space where he and uh, other people who are non-normative in their gender representations or in their sexual desires are allowed to be themselves. Finally, there's the big subplot of the movie, the rise of Nazism and fascism. Throughout the movie, we see more and more fascist things and fascist people all over the place. Uh, this starts with seeing graffiti, you know, people handing out pamphlets and stuff like that. Eventually, a Nazi comes to the club and he starts to try to be a Nazi at the club. He then gets beaten up by the bouncer. Eventually, a couple scenes later, more Nazis show up with the Nazi that the bouncer beat up, and they together beat up the bouncer. Uh, as Nazism continues to rise throughout the background of the film, Brian eventually asks the Baron what he thinks about this. You know, what does he, 
a German aristocrat, think about the rise of fascism. The Baron calmly says that the aristocrats are using the Nazis in order to contain the communists who are the real threat, and that he's not worried about it, you know, we can, we can control them, they're under our thumb. There is no better depiction of the rise of fascism in mainstream Hollywood cinema that I have ever seen. That, that, that one sentence is the, it's the best we got. The real turn in the movie, though, a real sign of, you know, the, the like souring of all of the plots, romantic and political, comes at about the halfway mark. Brian and the Baron uh, go to a beer garden while Sally is sleeping out a hangover in the car. So they go to a beer garden, and a young Hitler youth starts singing a fictional Nazi patriotic song. The movie depicts this sort of like it plays it for laughs. You know, we see this like beautiful, you know, blonde teen uh, as he's singing this happy song about the German countryside as the camera slowly, slowly pans down to show us his swastika armband to remind us, you know, who it is that we're dealing with here. Eventually, other German, you know, youth who are also members of the Nazi party or members of the Hitler youth or whatever, they join in and they start singing. And then everybody else in the beer garden, with a couple noted exceptions, starts singing along. Uh, this is supposed to be terrifying, and it really is, because it shows you how this normal space, the beer garden, a sort of like everyday counterpart to the cabaret, has been weaponized by the Nazis as a means of recruiting people to fascism. As they leave the beer garden, Brian jokingly asks the Baron, quote, if he still thinks that he can control them. The Baron restrains with an indifferent shrug. He doesn't really care. Eventually, Brian himself is beaten by the Nazis in the street, and this is sort of the plot conclusion of the rise of fascism. We know now that fascism is coming, not just for background people, but for the characters that we know and care about, right? You know, the, the rise of fascism has been completed. The last shot of the movie is the master of ceremonies quickly and, you know, uncharacteristically, frightenedly, sneaking off of stage as the camera pans out to show that everybody left in the cabaret is wearing a Nazi uniform. So this movie won all kinds of awards. Liza Minnelli got Best Actress, uh, Bob Fosse got Best Director, Joel Grey, playing the Master of Ceremonies, got Best Supporting Actor, uh, it won all sorts of other stuff. It is in fact won the most Oscars ever won by a movie that did not also win Best Picture, although it was nominated. Now, let's talk about how Nazism is depicted in this movie. Like I said before, I think that this is probably the best mainstream Hollywood depiction of Nazism ever made. It shows you the nihilistic fervor of the time of Weimar Germany. It shows the rise of Nazism from inside of Germany as a set of paramilitary activities that entrance civilians, you know, as a set of everyday life practices, right? Nazism is depicted as something that exists in the streets, something that exists in the background, something that is a part of everyday life, as, of, as opposed to something that, like, comes in from the outside, which, you know, The Sound of Music maybe depicts Nazism as, for example. It specifically contrasts the Nazis with the free and queer world of Weimar Germany, which it was, in fact, a freer and queerer world, right? Weimar Germany was one of the birthplaces of what we would today call queer theory, although, of course, it's not exactly the queer theory of, you know, the 1970s and 80s in the United States, but it's, it's, it's the closest that that period of time comes for. 
this is the only United States movie that ever gets all of these facts across. It's the only United States movie that I've ever seen that depicts Nazism as something that like aristocrats wanted because they thought that they can control it. But then when it turns out that they couldn't, they were also sort of like, eh, you know, it's not going to come for me. I'm rich. And they were in fact right. You know, that is in fact true. That is what happened. However, this isn't to say that the movie isn't without need for some criticism because of its depiction of Nazism and also because of its depiction of homosexuality and queer sexuality in general. When it comes to Nazism, the film suffers from the fact that it doesn't depict really any organized opposition to Nazism. It cuts out, you know, left opposition, left people in the streets, left people trying to prevent the rise of fascism, which is much to the detriment of the actual autobiography upon which it is based, because Isherwood himself was very, very close with very many people who were radical leftists and were fighting the Nazis or their rise at the time. Structurally, when it comes to homosexuality, the movie assumes heterosexuality as the norm. And there are times when homosexuality or queerness are played for laughs. For example, a performer who is in drag or who is at least wearing a dress comes in to the male restroom to use the to use the urinal adjacent to Brian. And Brian sort of looks theatrically at this person. Simultaneously, the person that Sally Bowles is based on, because again, th this is an this is based off of an autobiography. This is a real person. So the human person that Sally Bowles is based on, a person named Jean Ross, criticized the character as being sort of like fake and flighty and stupid, childish, naive, which is how Sally Bowles is depicted. Uh, Ross herself was not like this at all. She was a an adept journalist, an author, and a lifelong communist activist, not just in Weimar, but later on throughout the remainder of her life in the United Kingdom. So in this sense, the movie could be argued to take up the Nazis' perspective on the world of Weimar, that it is, you know, decadent and doomed to fail, that the people in it don't know what they're doing with themselves, that they have nowhere to go, you know, that they have no direction, that they could really socially follow, and that they need a, you know, a firm grasp in order to stop them, right? That there is depicted no future in the movie that the Nazis are stopping, right? Like, the movie depicts the world that the Nazis are destroying as being doomed from the start. And like, yeah, from, from the future, we know that that's true, right? We know that they fail to stop the Nazis. But the fact that the, that the movie sort of implicitly adopts that attitude is, is a problem with it. However, all of this aside, and, you know, these are real concerns, all of this aside, this is the best mainstream Hollywood depiction of fascism and Nazism that I've ever seen. I highly recommend that you give it a watch, if, if only just to see the incredible performance of Joel Grey as the Master of Ceremonies. Just, just truly incredible. Really good. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. If you really enjoyed the podcast, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism spelled out and all one word. That's also where you can reach me on Gmail, 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at hist of the right, that's H-I-S-T of the right, and fascism15. 
All right. Thanks very much. And I will talk to you next week.